This is the Blue Cloud Podcast, empowering the entrepreneurial lifestyle with insights on the leading trends in the mobile and digital landscape, turning ideas to empires. What's up, everybody? This is Carter Thomas with Blue Cloud Solutions. Today, I have a very special guest with me, my buddy Dan Navias, who I've gotten to know pretty well over the last few years. And I can safely say that every time I talk to him, I'm more and more blown away, not only by what he's doing, but I just hear more stories about what he did. And it's, it's really just incredible and inspirational uh, for any entrepreneur, especially someone in the app business. Uh, I'm just going to read his bio because it, it, I can't do it justice. So at the age of 27, Dan brings a decade of entrepreneurial experience to his role in founder or his role as founder and CEO of Parade, which is one of his big app companies. He started his first company at the age of 15 with $1,000 and built it up to over $2 million a year in revenue by his freshman year in college. A graduate of Indiana's Kelly School of Business, Dan is a self-taught entrepreneur, life hacker, and used his skills to establish his brand across international e-commerce, consumer products, apparel, and web media industries. Dan's companies have generated over $20 million in revenue to date. Dan's originally from Sao Paulo, Brazil, and he's fluent in three languages, including English, Portuguese, and Spanish. This is just the tip of the iceberg, as you will hear in this interview. Dan is one of the first pioneers in the app business of creating sub-markets, specifically around things like buying and selling Instagram likes. And you'll hear how he made millions of dollars doing this and how he is now pioneering the whole idea of curation in the app store and how he pioneered things like arbitrage with eBay. And it's just the list is endless and influencers and, and everything like that. I think that as you guys are listening to this, it's just keep notes and just keep tra- try to keep track of how good this information is because it's very rare to find someone who has this much energy and this much fire and has this good of a story in any business. And so for us to be able to have access to Dan, who will be speaking at the uh, Blue Cloud Hawaii event, very honored to have him come. Uh, this is a true gift. So Sit back, buckle up, and enjoy this conversation with Dan Navias. Learn, implement, succeed. The Blue Cloud Podcast with Carter Thomas. All right, Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Carter. This is great stuff, man. We were just talking about how uh, the last time I saw you was a couple of years ago in San Francisco. And then I think the time before that, we were roommates in las vegas at uh, a tony shea event that is exactly right those are two good times <laughs> yeah i had some had some late nights staying up talking about uh rev mob <laughs> and the uh <laughs> the inner workings Man. of brazilian ad networks that was making a lot of money those guys i, <laughs> I should have started an ad network after we had that talk oh, it would have saved me a long time oh yeah, yeah that's true yeah it was um it's uh that was a uh, different times uh so for anybody dan who doesn't know your story which is an unbelievable story of entrepreneurship and just you know hustle in a lot of ways uh you have not always been in the app business uh you have correct me if i'm wrong but it was like ebay or something back when you were a teenager right like what was the what was the story behind that first business yeah so yeah that's essentially how i started uh i think a lot of entrepreneurs start that way because just like the lowest barrier to entry but yeah i was in high school 
um, you know, it was around 2005, something like that, 2004. And I was like a freshman. Um, I was like 15 and I, you know, that's around the time that you get your car and all this stuff. And my dad was like, you know, I'm not going to buy this stuff for you. I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to get a job. So I go get a job and, uh, you know, I work for a week and I was working at this polo outlet store and I was like, worked for a week, killed myself, made like $70. And I was like, I cannot believe this is how people actually make money. This is like going to take me forever. And like, I was just like very sad about like, you know, actually like the real world. Um, and I was actually about to quit because like, I need to find something else. Um, and then this tour bus of like Asian people came to this factory outlet store and man, these guys must have bought like 200 K worth of stuff. Um, and I got like a $25 bonus for helping them out. And I was like, are you kidding me? That that's like my, my commission that polo makes 200 K and I make this. And then I was like, man, I really need to start like my own clothing line. And then I could sell 200,000. <laughs> and I was like, man, I, but I have like maybe a thousand dollars to my name, uh, you know, that I've gathered over the, the 15 years of life that I've had, uh, at that point. And then I was like, man, if these guys just knew that I had 40% off everything, then I had this like doorbell or like this, uh, you know, like this, this idea ring. I was like, whoa, like I could have given him 20. I could have had 20. I could have made 40 grand. Right. Mm. And then that day when I was closing the store, I remember like taking my Palm trio, uh, you remember those Palm pilots and like just going and <laughs> snapping, uh, all these photos of these barcodes. Um, then I take the barcode cross reference it onto eBay, um, and see what my discount. And then I found the item, the one with the highest gross margin. It was this leather jacket uh, that, you know, on the real stores is like 600 bucks. Outlet stores like 300 bucks with my discount. It was like 170 bucks, something like that. And then I could buy it and sell it on online. And I saw that all the completed listings were going for like 360, 380. So I just threw three on my dad's emergency credit card and kept the receipt. And I was like, worst comes to worst, you know, I'll just return these guys. Man, I sold all three that night, you know. And I was like, man, I just made 600 dollars. Holy shit. Um, so then I just started doing it. And I had before before long, I had the entire store of like workers uh like on my payroll to buy all this shit. <laughs> i'm like you buy the jacket i'll just pay you extra 20 bucks because like i could only buy so many and say i have so many family members you know and i actually had a manager that at the time didn't care like he he just wanted higher revenue numbers because i knew this wasn't sustainable but man what ended up happening is within five months I worked the least any person could work there just so I could keep my discount. So after like four or five months, I made like almost $30,000, right? Profit. And then I took the 30K. uh, Then I got into, uh, and then I finally had to quit, like, you know, whatever. But then I was like, whatever, I'll move into something more sustainable. Uh, I met this guy that uh, was like an Apple distributor in Latin America. and then he just kind of was like, you know, he had already done well, and he noticed that I was like a, this, like you know, at this time I was sixteen. Now I was just like sixteen year old hustler uh, trying to start a business. So he gave me like really u- u- like unique pricing for iPods and stuff like that, and I sold those on eBay for a bit. And I I could only make like twenty bucks um, on those because like the margins are just less, and that was cool. Um, then I did my next shady thing, and then I started doing uh, actual real stuff. So I'll just mention because it's kind of a funny story. Um, and I can't get in trouble for it now, but I didn't like think about this as being an illegal thing when I was younger. Um, so when I was 16, like we didn't have Spotify, right. And all this shit, like, you know, people use like, um, you know, LimeWire and Kazaa and all that shit. So, uh, I was like, man, 
I cannot believe that people are paying like $10 per movie and a dollar a song. I have 20,000 songs in my iTunes library. And I was like, that's like $20,000. So I, that's like my logic, right? And I was like, so I just started selling uh, pre-filled iPods with like, uh, I had a GeoCities website and then people would say, uh, you know, what they wanted and then I would just go and download it, right? And I'm like, selling these iPods, I'm literally buying these things for like 300 bucks and I'm selling them for like 1,000, 1,100, 1,200. <laughs> so I'm making like 600 bucks each. And honestly, I was like, man, this is great. This is great, <clears throat> you know? Um, and I, got, I, I did that on eBay for like another two months. I sold probably like, you know, 60 of them at least like and uh you know made another like fifty thousand of like forty fifty thousand dollars something like that you know um and then i get an email from ebay one day it's like hey like this is vero uh, <laughs> fucking illegal and i was like how is it illegal right i, I was like literally like in my head i had no idea that I, it was illegal right it was and then i thought about it I was like Oh, like copyright. Okay, this makes sense. Uh, and then I just hit him back. I was like, well, I'm 16, you know, because I'm not even supposed to be selling on eBay, right? right. And then I don't know. I was like, then then I just got suspended off eBay. I actually got to keep all the money though. Um, and then okay, now it's off to the races. Now I have like you know seventy, eighty thousand uh, dollars to my name. I'm like a, a student still. And now I'm like, uh, then I, I then I started doing wholesale with iPods and <clears throat> a bunch of stuff like selling them uh, to, to people in like bulks of 20. The guy would actually drop ship for me and, and put my name as on the from. Um, and then I met this guy uh, who w- wanted to sell them in the UK. And he's like, Hey, like in the UK, uh, these haven't come out yet and they cost, this is the going rate. And it's almost double what it's going in the U S. So he's like, if you give me costs, I will distribute them for you throughout the, throughout the U- Europe because it's the European union. Um, so I did that. And then I, I'm being, I'm from Brazil originally. So I thought about how much, like why my cousins would always ask me for electronics to bring that to, into Brazil for them. So they didn't have to pay the three X that they cost in Brazil. And then I started doing that to Brazil too. So now like my, throughout my like junior and senior year, of high school, uh, I started exporting these items overseas and reselling them uh, on these international markets. And what's really interesting is like, especially in Europe, it's like UK has a lower import tax than Italy, for example. But if you use like something like Parcel Force, it's basically like the equivalent of you going being living in New York and shipping to Texas. You know, it's like it can be there in a day um, and it's within the European Union. So it's almost like a state, right? If you treat it from a logistical standpoint, but it's much more expensive in Italy than the UK. Like the item because of the import tax. Mm. So I was selling in all these countries, like, you know, everything from iPods to actually even iTunes cards that actually go for 120 bucks and you could buy them here for a hundred, but I bought them on sale for 80 and I was just be sending emails and make like a 30, 40% margin, you know, on the stuff. And anyways, I scaled this business to, by the time I was a freshman in college, I was doing a couple million dollars a year, um, in revenue. And it all started with, uh, the polo jackets. <laughs> it, all, it all started with the, the Palm Pilot pictures. Yeah, it all started with that tour bus, man. I'm thankful for those guys. Were they you really, like, were you living the, in the in the U.S. at this point, or were you in Brazil? No, nah, man, I was living in like small town Indiana, um, like thirty thousand people. Uh, my dad is uh, he he 
got trans or he uh, was working for this company, his headquarters in a small town in Indiana, and that's how I, I made it to the middle of the cornfields in Indiana from Sao Paulo. Got it. Uh, one question, <laughs> yeah. just as you say that, that, that comes to my mind is if you're if you were doing the the like if the, the not only the revenue but just the opportunities that you continued to ca- come across, why did you still go to college? Um. You know, I thought about it a lot that it, it like I was I was actually considering not going to college, but I wasn't 100 percent for certain. Like at the time, I've always been a very social person. And, uh, you know, my friends were going to college and uh, they were going to IU at the time. And, and I got into some good schools like, you know, uh, IU. And then I was, uh, you know, got some good, good schools in the East Coast. And I visited those two. Um and I think that's probably the biggest reason I didn't go to like an Ivy League school or something uh, because of that reason. Because I was like, ah, I'm not really into going to college for the sake of going to college. I'm in like then I visited Indiana University and uh, it was like two factors. One was like, if I'm going to go to college, I'm definitely going to go to business school like and do that undergrad. I didn't want to do like liberal arts and like study history or economics or something like that. That that wasn't interesting to me. Um, so that's one, one reason I chose like a school that had a, a good undergraduate business program. But secondly, man, I just visited the school and had a weekend there and I went to these parties and like these fraternity parties and all these like, you know, house parties. And I was like, Oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever seen ever. <laughs> like ever. Like and I, I was like fascinated at like, this was happening. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that, that was a kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go to college and then I can still run my business because my parents are only living like 35 minutes away and I could still run the business. I, uh, like IU gave me a shit ton of scholarship, uh, which I'm very thankful for. They've always really been very supportive. Even post, uh, graduating from there, they actually invested, um, quite a bit of money into from their venture fund into my uh, company, my current company that we'll talk about later. Um, so I'm really happy that I did go there because I, I learned a lot. I had an amazing time four years and like, the, you know, you have to like, those are four years that I, you know, I'll always like look at in such a, an amazing way. So I'm, I'm happy that I went to school. Um, could I have done, you know, could I have taken those four years and, you know, maybe I'd be a billionaire right now. I don't know. You know, if I moved to San Francisco and done that, but I don't know. My head wasn't at that point yet. Like I was, I think there's a, a lot of like maturity that you have. That even it took me even longer than college, um, and still something I hustle or I do it today is like there's different types of entrepreneurs. There's entrepreneurs that are like hustlers and they make good income for themselves and like you know they're bootstrappers. They're like you know, and that's great. That's admirable. You like you like making money is like especially in entrepreneurship is like it, it, a lot of people don't right and it's not just people that fail it's just like these businesses sometimes get overfunded and they like you know they forget how to make money um and then there's guys that take in money and like they really grow a fucking great business um but i think what's the on the opposite side the people that actually do make money in these bootstrappers and hustlers and stuff like that and i put myself in that like or i i used to put myself i think i'm making a transition now um is that you get blinded by you know making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year for yourself or whatever half a million even a million whatever um and then you forget, like, what's the bigger picture, you know? And it's hard to get out of that. It's like you, you're like, like, 
is my was my eBay business ever going to become like something worth fifty million dollars, a hundred million dollars? Was like any of the side hustles that I had that you know we could talk about throughout college and, and whatever? Uh, were they ever going to be like something that's really going to move the world forward and be used by you know tens of millions of people and and be something like on par with like you know the the technology companies that we see today? And I don't know. Those are my personal goals. And if I were to move to San Francisco or or you know LA or some city like that as a young kid, um, I don't know if I I don't know I don't know if I would have gotten into that earlier or not. You know that yeah. so that's kind of why I, I look at it now. You know, but that's more like in line with like what I'm thinking and how I'm thinking today. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a you know right on. And I, I totally agree with you. I think that one of the, one of the quotes that. Uh, Perry Belcher always talks about is, you know, you can't rush baking a cake. And I think that that's true with people as well, is that often uh, the idea of making money or getting early success uh, really clouds the fact that we as humans just, money is only one thing that satisfies one piece of us and being around people, like having time, four years, two years, whatever, to be around, be in a community, to learn new things to be, uh, you know, meet new people, um, is, is a very important part of the growth process so that you can live a long and meaningful and fulfilled life and have a high impact because you know what, what sort of impact you want to have and, you know, build those connections. Um, so I think it is, I think it is a really interesting conversation. I think it's going to become just a bigger conversation over the, over mm-hmm. the coming years for obvious reasons. Uh, right. as you, as you move forward, you, you, you've got these side hustles. You're obviously just dominating opportunities every time they come up. You eventually start to get into the app business, and that's where you and I really, really met uh, through mm-hmm. through kind of a funny story. Um, yeah. What was the what was the like the the transition into okay, this app thing is is legit. I'm gonna take a shot mm-hmm. at this now. Yeah. So yeah. So in college, I started this music website. Um, and I'm becoming like a, a music, like kind of like a bro site type deal. Um, and yeah, I, was, I graduated and I started having the first inklings of like this type of thought process, which was like, you know, Dan, do you want the rest of your life to be like, what, like an eBay guy? And, uh, you know, is that like what you want your you know legacy to be? Um, and is that what you want to contribute to society? And, uh, you know, and also it was like, you know, what, what can you do that's bigger? So that, that's, then I started seeing like, man, like this app and I didn't, sh- I didn't know anything about apps like at the time. I just was like, you know, I like apps and this is a great opportunity. And then I just kind of dove into it. Like, you know, and I was like, I was kind of looking for like my next thing. So, uh, in any case, I, I have a really crazy story how I ended up meeting what has become my co-founder, uh, who, who, who has become my co-founder. And it was actually, and I'll tell you the story just cause it's like, it's kind of, it's a really interesting story that like, you know, I hold near and dear to my heart, uh, because of like all that we've accomplished since then. But, um, you know, right before I got into the app stuff, I, uh, came up with this, like, I went to this pitch competition and I kind of hacked my way into, uh, you know, this, the, there was a TV show uh, for tech stars on like Bloomberg, I believe, and they had this uh, online competition. And I had this idea for like a 
uh, Yelp with uh, recommendation, like a recommendation engine Yelp. It was really bad. The name was Wazora. Like I was just kind of like fucking just trying to do something, right? Mm-hmm. Anyways, I go to Fiverr and create this video because they have this video competition, and if you win the competition, you get like a top twenty-five spot in the tech stars, and you know that's hard to do. So I make this five-dollar templated video on Fiverr, and then I game it, and I win the entire contest on television, <laughs> like my show on the season finale of it, and I'm like. And I literally spent like $18 to get to that point, you know, and I was like, holy shit, that was the best 18 bucks I've ever spent. <laughs> I'm like, what else can I get for 18 bucks? I'm like, you know what? I want to make an app. Let's see what Fiverr has to offer on this app. Um, so I go there and man, just that day, someone wrote, I'll make an app for five bucks. And I'm thinking, you know, no expectations. You know, I tell him what they want. He's like, you know, I can't make that for five bucks. I'll make it for 85 bucks. I'm like, cool. No problem, man. 85 bucks it is. I'm trying to make justifications on why it's so cheap. You know, I'm like, maybe this guy's like from Bangladesh and like that's the equivalent of like, you know, 850 bucks. And I don't know, you know, in any case, I add up, I add him on, on Skype. We kind of start chatting. I read his name is Kiran and it's actually Kieran. Um, and, and then I end up finding out the truth, right? It's this uh, 15 or 16 year old kid, 17 year old kid um, who, was sick of reading programming books from the UK and uh, just wanted to work on a real project, but he didn't really trust his skills, you know? So he's like, fuck it, I'll listen on Fiverr. So it wasn't about the money, he just wanted to do a cool project. So a month later goes by, he makes this app and it, it, it was good. I made like 10K off this app, like, you know, pretty quickly, because uh, I had a good distribution channel for it. And then I, I told him, I was like, yeah, like, so what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm graduating. I was like, oh, I just graduated. And he's like, no, I'm graduating high school, right? That's when I found out he was so young. <laughs> And I was like, fuck. So then I was like, you know what? I want to start this company that does, that builds apps for people, like an app builder, right? And this is like, you know, there wasn't really anyone in the space doing that at the time. And, uh, and I was like, you should uh, come to the US and take a gap year before you go to college and we'll start this company. And honestly, to my surprise, his uh, parents allowed him to do that. And he comes to Chicago and literally on and off comes here for the next like one year helping me build this company. Right. And we hit our heads a lot um, along the way because it was like, it's like I said, like, it's like me, 17 year old. It's like the fucking, uh, you know, the, the, like, I don't know the, the replacements, you know, of like the company (laughs) where it's like, it's like the most random, like we're just hiring random Odeskers. It was a funny time, funny time. In any case, we struggle a lot. Um, and then, cause like all the premium features that we promised people, like we, we had a really tough time actually building, um, and charging people for it. So I then came up with this idea, which was kind of my first thing into reskinning without even knowing what reskinning was. I was like, I have a product that on the back end I can build apps really quickly on the front end isn't quite there cause we didn't have a front end engineer. So that's why we couldn't really charge and, and get things working well. Um, so I just started, I created an app factory, man, in a weekend, we popped out like 52 apps. It was like juice diet apps, fucking workout music apps, baby playlists, like baby genius, this, I like name of the topic. Like we made like a, like a bunch of them and it was all basically the same reskin with the same like modules in there with like, you know, a curation of dope videos and music and whatever, um, man, then I started making like $50 a day then $200 a day, then $300 a day, then $500 a day. And suddenly the company's making like $15,000, $20,000, right? Um, 
but it wasn't enough because this started happening around month 10 and then he had to go back to school and the school wasn't going to let him defer again. Um, so he had to make the decision, you know, like, is this sustainable enough for him to like, you know, and also he had to get a visa. It was a whole mess because he didn't have a college education and the visa system here was like screwed up. So the only visa he qualified for was this one called the uh, people of exceptional ability. Um, uh, and that's like, you know, what Olympic athletes get, you know, really intelligent technologists and, uh, and musicians, things like that. So, you know, we were like, mm, it's probably not likely, but he's going to continue working part time, go back to school on a whim. Right. The week that he goes back to school, uh, I came up with the idea of the app that made us like, you know, uh, ultimately me, which was InstaLiker, um, which we coded up in like a week. Like we literally I, I called them like, look, man, I have this great idea for this product. Let's take a break from the app builder, gather our heads. Let's make this as a side project. It'll be kind of fun. We'll do it in a week. So we build it, right? And the premise was, uh, you know, have a photo that people could like um, or follow. They get a coin. They amass their coins. And then they can promote their photos on Instagram and get to the popular page, gain followers and likes, things like that. You know, feeding to the vainness of society that we live in. Um, we threw this app out in the wild. No marketing. It's so buggy. And man, the first day, it, it, I remember. I remember I went to New York that weekend to hang out with a friend, and it launched at like 9:30 p.m. So it had like about you know three hours to populate, but it's like Pacific time. So within two and a half hours of the time they were actually populated, it made eight hundred and eighty dollars. And I thought it was a glitch, and I was like, man, there's no way. Then that next day, I literally would just see my little my beautiful logo and still like like just climb up the paid app charts um, and and then the grossing charts. And then the next day I get a, the, the Apple report and I'm like, holy shit, this thing made $12,000 yesterday. And then the next day it made 17,000. I mean, it was just like this thing where I was like, oh my gosh. Like, so we started making all this cash and man, it, it turned into like a, a thing that we just like, you know, fixed it and whatever. And yeah, man, we were the 70th highest grossing app in the app store back then generating so much money. And uh, right around this time, we got uh, an investor that approached us. Uh, I think more was just like, a, like, hey, who are you guys? Like type deal. Like it was out of nowhere. It was actually out of the LinkedIn thing. And I met with them and I was like, yeah, like, you know, we're this is what we want to build. This is what we have today. You know, we build apps and stuff. Uh, we're making like $10,000 a day profit. No problem. You know, this is actually like a month and a half in. And then they're like, I don't know. We ultimately parlayed that into raising a one and a half million dollar venture capital round, you know, <laughs> to build this product at like a great valuation and stuff. And, and then like, once we did that, Kieran was like, if we raise that round, I'll drop out. Right. So mm -hmm. he then drops out, and when we do, then we go off to hustling how to get the guy the O1A visa, that that exceptional one. And you know we, I mean, we met a lot of the criteria because we were generating so much money, and you know we got him you know to speak at conferences, whatever. And then he got the visa, and then he moved to the U.S. And then he's like 18, 19, you know, at this time, moves here. And man, then then that and then that was that. That's how I got into the app game. <laughs> and then wow. uh, you know. And we were just, yeah, overall, like the InstaLiker app made like a couple million dollars, like no problem. We also had a bunch of issues with Facebook and Instagram trying to like, uh, you know, take it down. And, you know, we deflected for a long time, you know, before before we had to absolutely take it down or it just got pulled. But 
but hey, man, you know, it served its purpose and it changed the court life of the course of a lot of people's lives. You know, like mm-hmm. his life is totally changed because of, you know, that story. And, uh, you know, what we're building today wouldn't be a reality had, you know, we not done some of these like random side hustles. Yeah. I mean, uh, and similarly for anybody uh, listening. Uh, so Dan and I met because I'm not sure where in the process this was happening, but Dan listed that app for sale on a marketplace. And I started messaging with him kind of anonymously as some pseudonym. And uh, once we started talking, uh, I was like, hey, by the way, my name's Carter. I do this app thing. And you're like, oh, dude, I totally know who you are. I've seen your website before. And uh, you and I talked and we were going to, instead of buying it out, maybe doing like, hey, let me get a license on this and whatever, you know, kind of fast forward. But that started to build uh, where we just started sharing information. Like I started, uh, I got my own uh, InstaLiker style app and then I would would be like, hey, this is working for me. And you would be like, hey, here's what the new API calls are for Instagram. You should try this. And, uh, you know, that like that definitely helped me turn that app into a huge win as well so uh, and that's kind of how the whole uh you know you and i just started chatting about about, everyone always talks about you know get a mastermind or whatever but i mean i distinctly remember on skype every once in a while we would just text back and forth be like hey this is working really well or hey this this doesn't work very well or here's a solution and you know that, that stuff just helps a lot yeah, yeah. No, it, it really was, man. Now, it was so funny. Like, man, we did so much shit. Like, <laughs> it's so funny. Like, it, it, it's like, I, you know, a TED Talk that I really want to do is uh, it, the topic is around, like, you know, how far are you willing to go for the greater good? Because I knew that I was, like, in a gray area, of course. Like, you know, but, like, you know, I thought about, like, what's, what's like, what the eyes on my prize, right? And Brandon, this isn't sustainable, but, like, you know, what can I, you know, get to at this point and like you know sometimes you gotta do those small hustles to get to the bigger the bigger thing that you're going to like you look at airbnb and like how they scaled with like you know um when they were struggling like a lot because it didn't really take off right away they actually built a bot to scrape all of craigslist and hit up every wanted ad being like hey like i see you want this apartment uh i have this one on airbnb i would prefer to go through there vice versa uh you know people that wanted uh was looking to for people to rent their apartment they're like oh i'm interested in this but i would prefer to rent it on this marketplace because it has all of these pictures of security boom, boom boom and these guys within like three months went from like zero to like two million users then raised 10 million dollars and now they're a 30 billion dollar company that helps so many people uh with you know with so many side businesses that come from airbnb um so you look at something like that, you know, and I'm like, that's kind of what I mean is like, they got a slap on the wrist. Sure, they did break the, the terms of service there. But like, you know, it's an interesting story of how they got to like one of the, the one of the many things they did <clears throat> to get to the point. So I, when I look at like the Instaliker thing, I'm like, yeah, it was it was like a, a funny time to and it got us to like, you know, where we are today. You know? Yeah. And I think I think in a lot of ways, uh, you know, what as as humans and it always just comes back to whatever is going to incentivize people to learn the fastest like that's what you should do and so uh anybody out there who's who does you're thinking about like oh maybe i'll do this black hat thing or this gray hat thing or this white hat thing and you know you and i have, have both seen the gamut we've been we've done our time in the in the marketing world and we obviously know that uh, the black hat stuff just doesn't work. Like it's not worth it. it doesn't work. Like it kind of just whatever. But if if you if you do that stuff and you like that's what's going to get you to stay up until four a.m. every day 
and learn how the game works and like learn how mm-hmm. to build a business, then, mm-hmm. then, then do it because like, you know, you might not make, build a business or make a lot of money or, or you might get in trouble, but you're going to learn more than you ever would if you like, you know, stayed within the rules and, right. you know, but well, only, I only did an hour a day or whatever. Yeah, and I, I think the thing is, like, with the black hat stuff, it's like, yeah, man, it's just not – honestly, I, this is coming from, like, one of the – I spend a lot of time in that <clears throat> in that space because it's not even, like, that I uh, was using so many black hat tactics or anything like that. It's just more like there are some really great ideas that these guys do, and you can translate what they're doing and make it um, – you know, legit in the sense where it's like, you're like, Oh, that's, that's actually really smart. Like how they're approaching that marketing. Um, I'm like, how can I do that in like a way that's like not for like penis pills, like, you know, like, or something random like that, you know? So, um, like there's things that you do pick up on and it's just a kind of a different brain. It's like a different ideas. Right. And as a marketer, I think that's like so critical is to like, if you go through my Facebook, like, uh, like save tabs, you know, I can save, I save ads. Like I'm like the only person I feel like one of the few people that do that where I'm like, what an incredible ad. That's really smart. They're doing that. And I just, I, I gather these because I like to see what other people are doing. Cause that gives me my ideas. You know, I'm like, you know what? I could take this and then this, and then I mix this up. And that's one of the ways I've been able to, uh, just scale things, uh, to a really high proportion, but you have to know, like, you know, if you might be making money for the next two months, like what's the next goal? Like it's important not to get sucked into the blackout life or, or even like that great thing because it's like, like I said, it's not sustainable and you can't like build a real company off of that shit. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, this is going to get me to like stay step two. Um, and you know, once I'm in step two, I'm not doing this anymore because I've, I've like amassed, you know, enough money to survive for the next five months or whatever, uh, without having to do that. Like, you know, you have to build something sustainable. I think that's the, that that's the big issue that I think like, you know, many investors and entrepreneurs look at like, you know, people that do do type, that type of marketing and be like, you know, this guy's a fly by night guy. And it's very hard to train yourself to do that. And I, and I struggled through it for several years of my life to kind of like get out of that type of thinking. Mm-hmm. Totally. With, uh, after Instaliker, um, I'm sure, you know, there's obviously a lot of projects, but the last one that, you know, uh, we, when we met, had dinner, uh, whenever in San Francisco, whenever I guess I was a year and a half ago or so now, uh, you had just completed or on the, on the, you know, in the red zone goal line for, a really incredible celebrity slash influencer app business model. And you're probably one of the first people that I met that really owned the whole influencer thing uh, as a a business model uh, that a lot of people just didn't know Mm -hmm. about, uh, you know, way before the emoji stuff, like way, way back. Can you, can you talk through the, how, how the celebrity deathmatch came to be and, and how it evolved? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the, actually, the first influencer thing that we did was actually when iOS 10 keyboards came out, or not iOS 10, um, was it iOS 7? I was, yeah, 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 8 or 7, not 10, sorry. Um, it's when the keyboards came out where you can you know, build your own keyboard. And then we approached like the top Viners at the time. And it was like the teeny Bob, like next generation, Justin Bieber dudes, like Nash Greer, Cameron Dallas, these kids that have like such a loyal following and like, they have like 10 million followers and stuff. And, you know, we were like, Hey, we want to make a keyboard with you. And we pitched it as like, it's the modern day poster, you know? Um, and then we went number one worldwide trending, 
we went, uh, we made like, man, we made like a hundred K in like the first two days, you know, just off in apps. Um, so, and, and so many downloads and whatnot. And the app was like, you know, it was just like an app that we kind of put together and built in like a couple weeks. Um, so that was like that. This is so, this is so huge. You know, this influencer marketing shit, uh, what else could we do? You know, and at the time I honestly, yeah, you're right. I, I didn't really know anyone doing it. Like, you know, we were like one of the first people and we, cause we, we knew about it cause we were, I was, I've always been, you know, an Instagram or growing Instagram accounts, things like that. So I used to have these big Instagram accounts, like promote my apps. And I used to get great ROIs on that because like no one was doing it yet. So it wasn't saturated. So we had a huge click through rate and people downloading these, these products. Um, and then the idea with celebrity, uh, you know, the celebrity thing was like, okay, um, we built a game with like walk a flock. Uh, we built, we had built a game with a couple celebrities. Um, but then we were like, well, how do we build a sustainable model around this? Because what would happen is you get this pop and then it dies, right? Cause it's the, the influencer can only promote your app so much before their fans like, Hey, fuck you. Um, so your so what we did was um, we're like well how can we create a model that we can just feed in new celebrities and new people and then they promote it to their audience and we just continuously do that and that's where that that model came from so we partner with like the biggest YouTubers like guys like Dan TDM big gamers like KSI these guys with like 10 11 million followers and we're like hey we're gonna make a video game character it's pretty easy sell these are gamers they thought it was cool so gave them a rev share. And that's what we did, you know, and like my, it honestly could have been a huge, huge business. Um, my problem, uh, uh, what I, what I, my issue, like, you know, in hindsight is that I was just doing too much shit. You know, I had like my app builder company. I was had my game company. I had my, my own app company, uh, like all within one company, but we just had a lot of different business units. Um, and it, it was just like too much to manage. Like, you know, I just wasn't at that point yet. Um, so, uh, you know, we ended up, we almost sold the game actually. We almost had like a huge, like eight figure exit before it even launched. Cause we sold it. Well, that ended up falling through like the day before we were signing documents on it. That was a huge letdown. Cause that was like a life changing type shit. But, um, you know, we learned a lot and, uh, you know, we ended up breaking even from the game, not a big deal. Um, and it didn't really live to the proportion that we wanted it to, but you know, we did generate like half a million downloads in like the first like 48 hours pretty much. And like, you know, made quite a bit of money, like just in those spaces, but we just didn't have the, um, infrastructure uh in place to take care of all those projects and we had to make a decision you know what do we want to do as a company um and what's the biggest idea you know mm. but yeah i i i still work with the influencer space today uh, more from a marketing perspective with what we're doing but like you know it's it's, it's been a space that i've known for years yeah yeah and so and so just for anybody who doesn't know the the the, the app is is a game right it's like you can battle different characters yeah yeah and, it was basically a rebrand of like what was kind of happening uh in the 90s with celebrity deathmatch a little claymation show hmm. and then we created a celebrity street fight is what it was called um and it was basically just like kind of like a a remake of that and then you can battle with like your favorite celebrities and there's like a worldwide leaderboard and like their fans could play against each other and then each each celebrity would become a new character and you would give them like a very small percentage of the overall revenue or whatever it was exactly exactly, exactly. got it um and that so i would imagine that not only 
was that a really good business model? I would imagine that a lot of value from that comes from just having those relationships and those contracts for the app, but just for your business in general too. Yeah, it it, it helps. Like, um, it just helps with credibility. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, we work with these big ass people, and we were able to do that. And it's like, it, it's cool when you're like, yeah, we're like, I don't know, we we make it, we made obviously made it seem like we were much bigger than we were, you know. But it's like, it's like essentially we're like an indie game studio from you know Chicago with like two developers that are making a game. Uh, you know, but you know, if you add the cumulative reach of like all of our celebrities, it's, it's nearly 150 million followers, you know? Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, that's just a hustle and, uh, it, it helps to an extent you can't rely on it. I think that that's, that's the thing with influencer marketing and celebrities working with celebrities. Like, um, it's a good, it's like kind of like, uh, you know, kind of like, a like a, if you have a fire already and you add a little bit of gasoline, the fire is going to like get bigger, you know? Uh, but like if you only rely on influencer marketing and you put too much gasoline and like, that's all you care about, you're going to explode some shit and it's not going to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one other thing I learned about, you know, influencer marketing is like, you can't build a business on just that. It's a good, like, uh, you know, accelerator, but it can't be the whole business, in my opinion. You know, it's just not sustainable. Again, like I, I just don't think it's sustainable for the long run. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that the uh, the only time I've seen it work, if someone wants to build like a huge company, is something like uh, a company like Jetsetter comes to mind, where they build a big product and they have an app, and then right. they're doing deals with influencers. Where I don't know if it's partnerships right. or just shoutouts. Right, but they're like like every month they're promoting their latest trip on this private jet, and that drives like long term revenue. Um, so right, it's become yeah. like, a, like a marketing partner as opposed to a promotion partner. Yeah, yeah, and, and in that in that sense, I think that uh, you know that works. That's like, like I said, that that that's exactly how I mean. Or if like you're a company like Glue, you know, that has the resources ready to create an amazing game that's going to, you know, generate a lot of money. And then you get someone like the Kardashian, like Kim Kardashian on it. Uh, then that could work too, you know, but not everyone could create a game like Lou. Right. Lou creates a game, you know, that's the thing. After, after that, uh, that app had, had its run. Um, your next big project was, I believe it was per, uh, period, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, and that was, um, you know, we raised some little bit more money and focused in on, on, you know, I saw what was happening with like, you know, WeChat in Asia and was like, okay, like how can I, uh, you know, do something that's similar in sense of like centralizing these services that people love in one place. Um, after we started building it, we noticed though that, um, it's really quite an undertaking uh, to do that <laughs> properly. Um, so we were like, you know, let's focus in on what we do well. And, you know, we started focusing in on like the media space and like, you know, uh, in the sense of like, we do music streaming while well, we do uh, video streaming. So what, uh, what the product ended up doing is it, it brought, it, it bundled together and brought together all your different media services into one place. So you can listen to your favorite music from SoundCloud and Spotify, and videos from YouTube, um, your social networks, everything in this one location. Um, and what's really cool is like, that's where I'm, I'm seeing the kind of the future go. So as a service, as a, as a platform, what I can do is I can essentially, um, allow you to really dive deep into anything that you really love. 
and get the best streams from those services around that topic. You know, we call that a channel in the app. Mm. And then what's cool is that we're getting all this data um, from you, right? Um, and that's what is so important. It's like, I'm like, oh, like, this is what he likes on Spotify. This is what he likes on Facebook. This is what he's watching on YouTube. And then that allows me to better curate for you. Um, and then kind of one of our value props in the app was like, you know, we don't want you to have to go search for your content. We want the content to come to you. And I think that's where the future of content is going. Um, so through artificial intelligence and also human curators, we can curate content for you based off of your preferences and what you're already consuming. So every user in the app gets like their own personal like content assistant, essentially. And that person's job is to pretty much just like, you know, build amazing content based off the things that you love. Um, but where it's going is like there's so many services out there right and you know where we can take this is like the bundling of services that's what i'm like kind of looking into in like the next like year and a half it's like um you might be paying for spotify and soundcloud today or spotify and netflix or something for like 20 bucks but what if i go to you and like hey for 30 dollars a month i'm going to give you spotify soundcloud pandora hulu this, this, and that, and you and I centralize all those services in one application platform. Um, that's really valuable, you know, mm. and it's very useful for people. Um, and you know, we're looking into things like, you know, what is this user? Uh, you know, like if we could tap into your calendar and your location, um, if, if users give us that, uh, want us to do that, uh, we can know Carter had seven meetings today. Carter, you crushed it today. We built this for you. Here's a channel on, uh, you know like meditation or whatever, if you're into that or, Hey, it seems like you're skiing. Here's the thing about like skiing and like jams for your boarding or you're at the beach. So it's like knowing what you are going to want before you know it. Um, and by, you know, we're just at a point where that is possible now because of like APIs and the unification of these services and also these, uh, you know, these cord cut, the cord cutting of like these services happening and like they've reached like, everyone uses these services now so we can finally unify them into one platform and really create this amazing experience mm. um so that's like was the premise behind um parade which we've actually rebranded the app to current now uh is what it's called um because and i'll tell you why because this is a really unique story so um with parade it that app is very complex to build, right? It's like not something I could just make in like a week. Uh, it's like a very, there's just a lot of shit to it. Um, and it's it just very like, you know, it's also, we designed it. It's a well-designed app and I'm very proud of it. But like, you know, I'm not on our engineering team, you know, and coding it every day. So after like, you know, if it took us a year to build, like, you know, sometime in like around August of last year, I was like, all right, well, you know, uh, I've raised the money. I have the partnerships in place. Okay. I should just get my like gun, like my ducks in order for when the app is ready that I can just hit the ground running and acquire a shit ton of users. Right. Mm. So what we did was I was like, you know, I could go the usual routes, which is like Facebook marketing, uh, you know, Instagram marketing, whatever. But I was like, you know, I want to create something unique. And I literally thought, what's the quickest way for me to get to, like, you know, say, call it 30 million people a month, right? And I looked at sites like BuzzFeed and like little things, and, and I'm like, man, these guys are seeing like 100 million people in a given month. And it's not the same as having 100 million app users, but that's eyeballs. It's a lot of eyeballs. And I, and I looked at the, how the, uh, 
the relationship with content has changed. No one goes to BuzzFeed.com anymore. They have the relationship with the aggregator being Facebook Mm -hmm. or Twitter, and they have a relationship with the article, which articles they see something interesting around something they like. So if I click on a weed article, I'm clearly interested in something around weed for two minutes or something like that. So you know the user's intent, which is very valuable. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to build a content marketing blog around Parade and uh, we're going to market the hell out of it. And then I'm going to use it as an acquisition funnel into the app. But the, the, the part where I was also very excited is that I'm going to get those users. And not only am I going to get them for free, I'm actually going to make money on them. Right. And not through my app, because we didn't want to focus too early on monetization in the app. We wanted to build something that people actually wanted. Um, so the way it worked is the model is this. Uh, I partnered up with large influencers so we have relationships with the Kardashians, like Kim Kardashian, all of those sisters, whatever, Snoop Dogg, um, you know, probably the top 200 biggest influencers in the world. And we pay them uh, to share our curated editorial content. And if I know that Snoop Dogg's audience likes weed and video games, that's what we write about. So he posts that to his 36 million fans on Facebook. 100,000, 200,000 people click on that article. I know that user's intent based off that article. And then I could take something from my app and market it to that user. Um, but there's programmatic ads on the site. And uh, I, if I'm paying Snoop Dogg like a, uh, a portion, or like a, 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 a cent, a click or something like that, and he is uh, you know promoting that, and then I can make like 1.3 cents a click, then I make a 30% margin, and I also get free users from mm-hmm. my app. Right. And we just scaled the shit out of that uh, within like five months. And our site's doing about, like I said, like 120 million page views a month, you know, and we're doing we're like the like as ranked by Alexa, we're like a, the top one of the top 500 highest traffic websites in the world. <laughs> uh, and like it's it was just like a hectic situation. So what ended up happening is um, I made the decision that parade you know, we were really bullish on pairing things together when we first came that name. Um, and it, it wasn't the best name, but like after that became its own like unit, I was like, this is almost like its own business. It's like generating quite a bit of revenue. Um, it's a marketing channel. So we were like, let's separate the brands. Right. And, you know, current, so it's important. Like I didn't want, I don't want ads associated to that, that brand. So it's like, it just made sense to separate them as two, uh, they're still the same company, but two different brands within the same company. And one's like kind of like the marketing engine and the revenue channel. And one's like this much bigger vision of something that I see, you know, really becoming like, you know, my goal is to make it the size of, of a Netflix type business, because I think it's the future. Um, so, uh, but it, it, all in all, like the parade thing is like, it's been crazy. Like, you know, just, cause we did it in like five months with a team of like five, wow. you know? So, and those, those, those relationships that you got with with the influencers, did you get that? Uh, was that like a byproduct of the so, the celebrity app? Um, Definitely, it's it's a it's it's a byproduct. Not in the fact that like they necessarily probably looked at like, oh, this guy's done this shit before. They looked at it in the sense where everything in our life is relationships, man. So it's like I knew I I like you know I I worked really hard over the last like six years of my life to 
you know, get out of my, only my town. Like if I, if my company's based in Chicago, I don't want to only have a strong network in Chicago. I need to have a strong network in LA and New York and San Francisco. And when I look someone up on Facebook or, or LinkedIn or whatever, I usually have a connection to them. And that's everything because when I go raise my round of capital now, uh, and I'm in, I'm in the midst of about, you know, like in the next few months, I'm probably going to start a series A process. Uh, I can't just hit up investors like cold. You're not going to get any investments like that. Mm-hmm. I got to get like the best intro is like an entrepreneur that made that investor money. And if I don't have that, I need to find uh, someone that that person trusts. Right. And it's like that I also trust because that's the person that is the person that's like representing me as well. You know, whoever makes my intro to them, like, is this a good person that is going to represent me and like everything I stand for and I work. Right. So like the intros are everything. So when I went, came to, you know, meeting these, the people that, you know, can make the decision on us having these big relationships, it, it was things like that. Like, you know, are they a part of the same communities as I am from? Uh, are they a part of that? And then the people that are making the interest, like, hey, Dan is a great marketer. You should take, you should take the hour to meet the guy because he's he can make you money, right? Mm-hmm. Or something like that. So if it comes like that, then it's much easier. And then it turns into like a snowball effect because once people see, oh, they work with these people and they work with these people, then the smaller people want to come in and work with you as well because you've already reached, you know, the, the eyeballs and stuff like that, you know, and, and, and people know that you're legit. So like that took, that's definitely took some months for us to get to that point. Even like, you know, hustling the way that, you know, we did it. And that's why I was spending so much time out in LA and stuff like that, you know, getting those partnerships in place. But, you know, it's really helped us because, you know, it's allowed us, our company to get to profitability and, uh, again, build a product like usually with startups, this is like the most, like there's, there's two factors that, 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 that distinguish successful founders and, and, uh, and successful CEOs and stuff like that. And I think it's like, there's two driving forces, uh, that can make you fail. One is you just have had enough. Like you're, it's so stressful being an entrepreneur. So like you just had enough and like, you know, I'm done with it and I just need to fucking have a break. And, Usually that's uh, that's one, and then the other one is Mother Nature is essentially telling you that you must stop, like, and that's you running out of money. Mm. Um, so, as an entrepreneur, uh, especially being kind of like, on I'm not like a Silicon Valley entrepreneur because I, I didn't grow up in the valley, you know, and I've always was a bootstrapper, and sure I've raised some money, but not from like VCs really, more from like super angels and guys like I do have some big investors like Mark Cuban and stuff, but like not. Like it's, it's a different, it's a different breed. And I was like, you know what? Like I figured out this way to keep my company afloat and make money and create value. Um, but I'm going to translate this growth into my app platform and show investors that this is what I'm building and this is what you're investing in. Right. And knowing the distinction between what good revenue is, which I don't think that the blog revenue is necessarily good revenue. It's like, it's arbitrage revenue and sure you can have a seven figure, eight figure business from that. But what I need, what I'm wanting to show investors is like, this platform that I'm building is going to be the, as big as Netflix. Like that's that. And like, you know, and it's very like crazy for you to say something like that, but something, but it's like, um, you know, that's the type of confidence that you want to go in there. And it's like, you have to be able to back it up. But like, I think through the trends and what we're doing, that's why I'm so proud of it. But, and it's also the difference that you can feel uh, internally because the biggest distinction I've come up with as well in the last 
you know, two years. And, and, and I've really like honed in over the last like six months is, um, you know, my entire life I've always looked for the quick rip and like I do things because I see a quick opportunity to make some money. And that's great. Like it's like it's been great for me and has provided me with having a great life and like and it's exciting and I love it. But at the same time, this is the first time I've built a a product that when I look at it, I'm like, this is the manifestation of everything that I really care about in my life, right? Like I care about curation, I care about this media, and I look at that platform and I look at it and I'm like really proud that I built that. I'm like, because if I didn't want to build that, I would want someone else to build that. And there's a different type of enthusiasm internally that I have um, because of, the, of, of building something like that. Because I'm like, this would not only change the lives of people and bring like you know a hundred, it could change the lives of hundred millions of people of how they consume their content and how it, it, it goes through and when where we could take. It. Um, but it also can be a very profitable venture. And there's a huge difference between just doing something for profit and doing something because like you saw a problem and you really wanted someone to fix this problem. So you just went ahead and fucking built it, you know, and that's kind of like where I'm at, um, with current, um, and the blog is like kind of like a means for me to get there and make it a reality. There's a, there's a great <clears throat> video that I saw the other day, uh, of Gary V talking to some, 20 20 some year old and there's a uh, a sentence that he he said very nuanced that essentially said if you chase opportunities if you chase the million dollar opportunity uh over the course of five or ten years you know something something very subtle uh happens to the way you view yourself and the way you view yourself in this world and it just compounds over time but if you start to work on things that you really believe in that compounds in a very different way over time. And yeah. kind of like what you said, like when you, when you play the short game, there's certain rewards, but they're short-term rewards. When you play the long game, there's there's also rewards that get better and better and better as mm-hmm. as time goes on and I think that that's one of the one of the, the the reasons why entrepreneurship is what it is is because if people if people can get to that point, that's when they love it. That's when they really make the the big changes, uh, but the key is getting there, right? Like just yeah, mentally. Yeah. Man, we've been to so many iterations, and it's been a struggle, man. It's been a struggle, and like, but because people only see the success, and it's cool. Like, I mean, we built, we achieved a lot of shit, but like, um, you know, we're still so early uh, as a company. But it's like, you know, I look at it, and I'm like. Man, I'm just so confident. I've never been more confident in anything I've ever built, you know? And I just know because I, like, I've never really used the products that I built, you know? I'm like, yeah, this is going to make money because I just, a good entrepreneur is like, you know, they can put themselves in the, in the shoes of another user. You know, they're like, oh, this is like what teenagers like. Or this is what, you know, uh, you know, these people are going to like and, and do. But, you know, when you yourself think that about other people with through a product you build and you yourself use the product like you know you see what it can become and where it's going and like you know what i have in, like what what we have envisioned for like the next like three to six months and it's really powerful you know and then so like you go into with like a certain swagger to these meetings that can be replaced through rehearsing and you know whatever because you're just like it's not a question of if this is going to happen it's when and and it and it's gonna happen like bottom line you know because it's like someone's gonna see it the way i see it as well so that that's like kind of where i'm at today um you know with with this new platform um 
with with current. So um, yeah, it's 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 been exciting, man. But it's yeah, it's definitely taken years for us to get to this point. Um, and I think we're just now beginning to go down like a road uh, to see exactly what what will shake out. One thing that I've seen this has been a recurring theme uh, from some of the content you've made and some of the videos and the, the presentations that you've made is impacting uh, a billion people. And it sounds like this is a very, very good way to have an impact in a way that you believe yeah. in on a billion people. Um, right. Where did, where, where did you, where did that come from? Where did that, uh, that message come from for you? Yeah. You know, I think, um, so when we talked about this a little bit earlier, but it was like, you know, you talked about how, uh, when I was younger, I like a big thing for me was like, yeah, money. I was like, yeah, money is happiness. Happiness equals money. Boom, boom. More I have, more happy I am. And man, I, I, what do you realize? I was, I mean, I'm, I'm really fortunate that, uh, yeah, I like money. I like not having nice shit. And like money, uh, is a catalyst to being able to do, amazing things in this world whether uh it's you know you know for yourself or not um but i noticed that like you know that's not what makes me happy you know what makes me happy is like you know living a comfortable life of course but like going to uh you know someone that needs help or a group of people that are like maybe might be young entrepreneurs and then providing them the guidance to have their dreams come true or removing a sense of worry out of something that like to me isn't as big of a worry um, and helping someone guide through like a problem. And that's like, that, that's what I was like. Yeah. You know, uh, we're all given certain gifts in this world. Right. And, and in terms of that and like the way that I process how to like, you know, do business or entrepreneurship, and just the fact that like, I feel like sometimes like money is attracted to me and I've always have opportunities. Like I never worried that I have to go work or, like a job at like, you know, uh, you know, some random company and like nine to five bullshit because I'll, it's just like, unless I go crazy and I lose my brain, I will always be able to find opportunities that are going to make a good income for myself. Right. And that, but like when I look at like, you know, I think every person has a purpose and, um, there's many people that. I, I think that sometimes like if you don't channel that purpose into like this greater good of what you can help, because like I'm like, man, if I could just get to a point where like I don't have to worry about uh, what it means to spend a billion dollars to help these people or what it means to to, you know, if I wanted to be you know the president of Brazil, if that, if that was my goal to, to fix the bureaucratic bullshit system that I, like from a country that I'm originally from, like, I just want to be able to do that shit. Right. And, and I don't want anyone to tell me like, and it's not for myself. It's like, if you see problems around the world and you see, like, do that, like someone has to go and fix those problems. And I just, the, the way I look at like entrepreneurship and impacting a billion people and like what, what I have the capability of doing, it's like, is it possible? Do I truly believe that it's possible for me to become a billionaire in my lifetime? Yes, I do believe that. Why do I want to be a billionaire? Is it to buy a fuck ton of yachts and mansions? No, is it's to not have to answer to any other person outside of myself uh, on a cause that I really want to create and I want to make change for. And that's why I really look up to you know really successful entrepreneurs that have you know created foundations and and created so much change around the issues and topics they mat that matter to them because when you have that, you know, um, you know, not only the capital, but the clout 
you can achieve so much shit. Like look what like Elon Musk has done uh, through all these different businesses, and now his new business Neuralink that like links your brain brain to computers. Like that shit's amazing because he's very passionate about not allowing like you know artificial intelligence and and machines to take over the human race. Um, you know, it's like everyone has their thing. You know, and I'm not 100 percent sure exactly what my thing will be, you know, in the next 20 years of my life, you know, when I'm like, you know, I'm 28 today. So, so when I buy the time I'm 50, but what I do know is right now I have the opportunity to create the steps that progress me towards that direction. So if current is the company that's going to be one of my catalysts to get to a point where I can now be one of these, you know, top 10,000 change agents for the world that ha- that now I have the funding and the clout to, you know, uh, execute on these bigger ideas. That's, that's like what I find interesting. Right. So, um, and, and that, that's kind of how I think about it, you know, and the billion people thing is just like, you know, what's the purpose of life? You know, you have to think about what, what yours is and what everyone has to think about that. And for me, it's always like, I just want to like, by the time I die, I just don't want to have any regrets. And I, and I think that if I'm capable of, you know, uh, impacting that many people, then that's the fucking goal that I'm going to set for myself, uh, and, and, and do what I can so that, you know, my legacy or not, it's not even a legacy because it's like, um, the, the, when I got really inspired about this is like my grandfather was a, uh, like cause I, I don't know, this is like over years of thinking, right? But my grandfather was a, uh, you know, kind of grew up from nothing, became successful in Brazil, and he put like nine people through college that weren't his own kids, right? And uh, and just a lot of times, it's like Brazil is very common to have housekeepers and shit like that, and he put a lot of our housekeepers through college, but that that changed a lot of people's lives. Um, those people that went to school, they grew up in a low income. And then they went to school and then now they have the opportunity to get like normal jobs and they're not this stuck as being a hustler. So my grandfather passed away 10 years ago, but those people went to college and now their kids went to college and now their kids have a better life. So my grandfather passed away, but he was really impacted like what, you know, call it like, you know, whatever, like nine people, but that has grown to probably 70 people. Right. And all the people they've impacted along the ways too. So when you think about things in that way, you know, he might be gone, but think about all the impact that he did for those people. And that's happened in history time and time again with people that have passed away. But, you know, like you could look at the civil rights movement, right? Martin Luther King, like all these things. Like, so that's kind of how I think about, you know, what do I want to do with my life? Um, and when I think about things like that. Yeah, man, that's, that's fucking awesome, dude. It's really inspiring to hear, hear you talk about that. And I mean, I can feel it just, just from your voice, just, not only how much you care about it, but how much you believe it too, which is, I mean, that's really, that's the name of the game. Um, For sure. This has been, this has been awesome. I think it's been super, just incredible to hear your story and, and, and to share everything. How can, how can the people listening support you and like help with current and help, help with your business and, and spread the message? Uh, man, I would love the people to download current, uh, make some, you know, I honestly like, we're still early in it. Like if people want to email me directly, uh, or, you know, like request, like we're still trying to make this, the see like what, what do people love about this product? And I think that the blue cloud community is a great community for that because, you know, it's fellow developers, 
they're you know entrepreneurs like they're, they're the type of people that we want in that so that's like a big thing they're like i don't know when you're releasing this podcast but like i said we haven't made any really public announcements about it about the funding or current or anything like that so they're getting like the inside track of like our, our product um we're doing it in like the next like month or two so it's not a big deal but um like that's that would be a great support and um you know if, if if people did that and you know feel free to email me um and my email is at dan at current dot us um and uh yeah that's that would be great cool man yeah i'll definitely link it up in the show notes and and we'll coordinate everything uh to get you get you the biggest impact as possible but dan man this has been awesome dude it's so good to catch up with you and also thank you so much for sharing that story and uh, really, really, really special and cool things that you're doing for the world, man. I'm, I'm proud, proud to know you as my friend. For sure, man. Vice versa. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of the Blue Cloud Podcast. For more information on app development, ebooks, reliable source codes, and more, expand your mobile knowledge by going to bluecloudsolutions.com.